0: Uh, This morning, what I want to do in our sermon time, I want us to get to the bottom of an important Bible word. And we're probably not going to come to a complete understanding of this word. Because to me, it's a difficult word. And it's a very mysterious concept. But I do hope that by the time we leave, we'll have a better understanding of it than when we came in. We've sung about it. The last couple songs featured this word. The word appears several times throughout our Bibles. The word is glory. It's glory. And my lack of understanding is not because of a lack of use in our culture. This word gets plenty of mileage in our society, and I've thought of just a handful of examples. In 1989, there was a movie released about the 54th, Massachusetts Infantry Regiment, the Union Army's 2nd African-American Regiment in the Civil War. And the climax of this movie depicts this regiment's heroic actions at the Second Battle of Fort Wagner. It starred Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman, and the name of the movie was Glory. There was a 2014 movie called Selma, which focused on a chapter of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life when he was helping coordinate Voting rights marches from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery. And the title song of that movie, the song is called Glory. When Tiger Woods, earlier this year, sank his final putt to win the 2019 Masters Tournament, 14 years after slipping on that green jacket for the last time, Legendary broadcaster Jim Nance, his call, when that golf ball sunk down into the hole, was the return to glory. And then we have sayings, like this one, that is common in the sporting world. No guts, no what? Glory. Yes, we hear this word all the time. But these uses that I have shared with you this morning are... Well, they're about human achievement. They're about human victory and greatness and acclaim. But the Bible reserves the word glory for God. And its meaning in the Bible is richer and fuller, and it's actually pretty different than the way we use the word glory in our culture. Glory in the Bible seeks to capture God's greatness his transcendence, his otherness, and yet it also seeks to capture our experience of his greatness. When God makes his majestic, awe-inspiring presence known to us in the course of human history, and he's done that several times in human history, several times on the pages of God's Word, His presence in the wilderness as His people traveled to the promised land. His presence manifested in the temple and the tabernacle. His glorious presence uh, made present to the the, uh, prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and others. And then into the New Testament as well. Example after example of the glory of God. The word for that is glory. And we have an example, plenty of examples, but one I want to share with you briefly from the book of Psalms, from the 29th Psalm, where we see this example, the psalmist is reflecting on the glory of God. He says in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And then down in verse 9, the psalmist says, in his temple all cry, glory. That is the word that is exclaimed when the people experience the awe-inspiring presence of God. It's glory. That's the word. We could use words like splendor and beauty and magnificence and radiance and rapture to fill out this concept of glory. Glory. And anytime we experience the glorious presence of God, whether it's out in nature or whether it's in the pages of the scriptures, we really ought to stop and and just stand in awe of God. I'm afraid we don't do this as often as we should. I'm afraid that we don't reflect on the awesomeness of God. I'm afraid that we do not choose to be still and know that He is God. I walked the girls down to the end of our road last night trying to sneak a glimpse at the fireworks that they were shooting down in Cowan for the fall festival. We didn't see any fireworks. I don't know if we were too far away. But we did look up and we beheld a beautiful night sky full of stars. And it sort of struck me that I don't, I don't stop and take in the glory of God as often as I should. I think if we did, if, if we did stop and reflect on the awesome presence of God on His glory, well, it might keep us from having an over-inflated view of ourselves. It might remind us of our smallness and our insignificance before a great and mighty and big and powerful God. It might put us in our place. It might help us as we live to reflect on the glory of God more often. And glory, this word, this concept, it helps tell the story of the Bible. And that's evident in our text this morning. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But I don't want you to turn there yet. I want you to go first with me to Exodus chapter 34. And I don't have this text up on the screen, so I really would encourage you to grab a Bible, a copy of God's Word, go to the second book, in your Old Testament, Genesis, then Exodus, chapter 34. In our text, which is in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul writing, he he begins this section about God's glory by saying that the glory of God accompanied the Old Covenant. Meaning that old relationship that God had established with His people, the Israelites, back in the Old Testament, by means of the law. And through the mediation of his servant, Moses. This relationship that was established through the law. Paul says there was great glory that accompanied the old covenant. And his prime example of this, in this case, and he he had a lot of examples to choose from, of glory that accompanied the old covenant. But his example, the one he picks, the Apostle Paul, is when Moses received the law in Exodus chapter 34. And so I want you to turn there with me. We're going to read a few verses here from verse 29 to verse 35. And I realize that's a pretty big chunk, but this is a remarkable passage. So I hope that you'll follow along with me. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Don't forget that detail. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Many of you on Sunday mornings, you are studying this magnificent book, the book of Exodus, and you'll get to this passage eventually. Paul says that the old covenant came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face after he had been in the presence of God. Because the glory of God had been somehow transmitted to his face where his face shone, it was was brighter, it was lighter. But, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that despite such glory, in the same breath, Paul says, despite such glory, the old covenant had great shortcomings and inadequacies. Paul says it was a ministry of death. That it was a ministry of condemnation. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. And now I give you permission to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is where we'll be for the rest of our time. Yes, great glory accompanied the Old Covenant. And I've already listed several examples from the Old Testament to illustrate that. But, despite the glory, Paul says, there were great inadequacies of the Old Covenant. It was a ministry of death, of condemnation. Why? Well, the commandments of the law, they revealed sin. They showed the people what sin was what behaviors and attitudes they ought to avoid, and what practices they ought to put in place, but it could not give people the power to overcome sin. It was powerless in overcome and toppling sin. And so Paul's argument is this. If glory like that accompanied the Old Covenant, how much more glory do you think accompanies The New Covenant. And Paul makes arguments like this a lot in the New Testament. If this is true, then how much more is this true? If there was great glory in the Old Covenant, you think about God's glory at the temple and the tabernacle and in the presence of the prophets and in all the miracles that were performed. And in this case, in the shining face of Moses, after he had been in the presence of God, great glory, Paul says, but get this. There's even greater glory that accompanies the New Covenant. And what strengthens Paul's argument even more is that the old was temporary. It was never intended to last forever. It was always always going to be limited to a certain period of time. In fact, Paul says it is now being brought to an end. And contrast that to the New Covenant which is everlasting. This new covenant in Christ, which is permanent. In fact, Paul can say that what once had glory now has none. Because the glory of the new covenant has so far exceeded, has so far surpassed it. And to make his point here, Paul revisits the veil of moses uh this passage that we just read in exodus chapter 34 now this is a complex image here that paul uses this is by the way this is a difficult sermon for me glory is a difficult concept and second corinthians 3 is a difficult passage so i am seeking understanding here and you know i hope it's not like the blind leading the blind uh I think I'm coming to a greater understanding of what this is all about. I'm not there yet. I hope that all of us collectively can come to a greater understanding together. Paul's image here, when he fetches this Old Testament story from Exodus 34 about the face of Moses, the way he uses this is a bit complex, but I think this is the gist of it, okay? Paul says Israel, the people of Israel, could not bear to look on Moses' glory-filled face. That's why he wore the veil. They could not bear to look into his face because he had been in the presence of God. Because his face projected the glory of God. We don't need to look at it. Because if you're in the presence of God, the, you know, the opinion was, the belief was, you would die. So don't look at Moses' face because he had seen the glory of God and it was evident from the way that his face looked. Paul says, fast forward to today, and you know what? If you think about the people of Israel today, the Jews, the Hebrews, their eyes and their hearts are still veiled from seeing what God is doing in the present time through Christ. They can't see it. They, they are blocked from being able to see that God is now working through Christ to bring salvation to the world over. They can't see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, of the law, of all the writings, of the prophets. Everything that they believe is pointing ahead to this person who is more than a person. He's the very Son of God. He's God in the flesh. But they can't see it. It is as if a veil hangs over their eyes and their heart. But Paul says, turning to the Lord, that is what can remove the veil. When you turn to the Lord, when you confess faith in Christ, then you can see clearly what God is doing in the world. And the most remarkable verse to me of this whole chapter, of this whole section, is chapter 3, verse 18. Look at this verse with me. Paul here says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the big reason in Paul's mind that the new covenant through Christ is more glorious than the old covenant Built on the law is this. It's what's happening to us. It's what's happening to us, to all believers. So we, in a sense, are back to where we began. We began talking about glory and how it's perceived in our culture. And how in our culture it's about human victory and greatness and acclaim. We're sort of back to that, but but not really. There's a big difference. We are. Partake, we participate in the glory of God. It's not about our glory. It's about reflecting His glory and His greatness. And if you reflect on the various ways that this concept is used in the Bible, this is remarkable. That we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being made more glorious that we are being transformed into that image as well that's an incredible thought it's a mysterious thought and i do not pretend to fully understand it but i do believe it i do believe that's god's will for us what paul here is saying is that in the new covenant in this ministry of life unlike the ministry of death In this ministry of righteousness, unlike the ministry of condemnation, the old covenant, in this new covenant, we are all, all believers, all baptized believers are gradually being made to shine. God wants you to shine. Not literally like Moses, like the face of Moses, but You are being transformed to shine forth the goodness of his character to the world over. You are being refashioned into his image, the image of God that was distorted in the fall, that has been distorted by sin. Through Christ, you are now being transformed back into his glorious image. And God intends for you to shine forth the goodness of his character into the darkness of this world. When you are baptized, you begin a journey on the glory road. You become a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And here's something really cool. Unlike the face of Moses, the glory that, was present on the face of Moses, it would diminish the longer he was away from the presence of God. Unlike that, you were made to shine brighter and brighter and brighter until the day that Jesus returns and continuing into eternity. Now the problem as I see it, is that some of us resist being made into God's glorious image. Some of us don't want to shine too brightly. Yes, we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to be labeled a radical. We don't want to be called a Jesus freak. We don't want to stand out too much. We don't want to be too different. And we say to ourselves, I still need to relate to others in the world. So I still need to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom because if I don't have one foot in the world then how will people know about the gospel? And how will people want to come to the gospel? How will people find me relatable so that they want to come to church with me and hear about the message of Jesus Christ? But I think passages like this challenge what we believe about that. Passages like, it, like this teach us that the way that we change the world is by submitting to this transformation is by wanting to become more glorious. Wanting to be changed into the glorious image of our Lord. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. And when people see our glorious lives, when people see the the Lord working on our hearts and transforming us to resemble Him and making us into His image, some of them will take note. Some of them will notice our shine. And some of them will want to shine too. Some of them will want to follow suit. But the problem is, many of us have just... well. We've kind of been dulled and we've lost our shine. And so the challenge here from this passage, from God's inspired word, from God himself, is go out there and shine. Show forth his glorious goodness to a dark world who is in desperate need of it. God is counting on us to shine forth his glorious light. The question is, are we up? To the task? Are we submitting to the transformation that God wants us to undergo? Are we with unveiled faith beholding God's glory and as a result, are we being transformed into that same image gradually, little by little, bit by bit, from one degree of glory to the next, shining brighter and brighter and brighter on in to everlasting life. Our prayer each day should be, Lord, make me more glorious. Make me shine brighter for your glory. Help the world to see your glorious nature through me. You get the privilege of participating in the glory of God. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that incredible? What a privilege. What a responsibility to shine and to reflect God's glory to everyone around us. Don't be afraid to shine. Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to be different for the sake of the glory of God. There's a very interesting verse that closes out the book of Daniel Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Maybe you've never noticed this pair of verses before. This is where I want to close out today. Daniel looks ahead to the resurrection. We are looking ahead to the resurrection, to the return of Jesus Christ, and to the judgment and to the inauguration of eternity, and the resurrection of the dead. And we get a rare glimpse from the Old Testament of the resurrection. But Daniel here says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall, get this, shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise And what is true wisdom? It is embracing what many call the foolishness of the cross. Of saying yes to a Savior, to a Lord who is willing to be humiliated and punished for our sake. True wisdom comes from saying, yes, that's my Savior. Yes, I need Him. He is the only one who can rid my sins from me by His sacrificial death. On the cross, you want to be wise? Then say yes to Jesus. And this verse here says, those who are wise shall through eternity shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who take their faith seriously, those who live out their faith, those who reach others with the gospel. The words here are turn many to righteousness. Those who do that will shine like the stars in the sky. Forever and ever. Do you want to shine in this life? Do you want to shine in the life to come? Do you want to project God's glorious image now so that you can bask in God's glorious presence forever? It can begin for you today. It can begin for you right now. You can come. You can confess faith in Jesus Christ. You can turn away from your sins. You can be baptized in water so that those can be washed away. And you'll come up, and day after day after day, God will make you into His glorious image. God will place you on the glory road. Or if you're here this morning and you once shined, it was evident that you were sold out for your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ but your shine has kind of dulled with time. Maybe you want to come and say, I want to be placed back on fire for the Lord. I am not shining. I am not projecting His glorious image as I should. I need the prayers of my people, of my brothers and sisters in Christ so that I can once again be fully devoted to being transformed into His image so that I can project His image to a dark and dying world. This is a time for you to come. If there are any spiritual needs in the house, why don't you come and make them known while we stand and sing together?